Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, October 31st, and I'm your host, Vincent Chen. Happy Halloween, fools. I've had a few people ask me this week if I'd be picking Halloween-themed topics for this show, uh, looking at candy companies or something similar. Well, the companies we're focusing on today are only tangentially related to the holiday, uh, and they're tour companies. So one of the two biggest names in that industry shared news last week that gave plenty of investors a scare, I think, if we're sticking to that Halloween theme. But overall, um, the stock's been making huge moves over the past few days, and we haven't talked about this sector in some time, so I'm welcoming Danny Venna, one of our Fool.com contributors, who's joining us via Skype to the show to help us cover their latest earnings results. Hey, Danny, uh, how's it going? Welcome back. It's going really good. I'm glad to be back. How's it going with you? Uh, going really well. It's great to have you with us. Um, we have the latest earnings, uh, as I mentioned, from Hasbro and Mattel to cover. But before we dive in, uh, I know that you wanted a little bit of time to revisit uh, Toys R Us as well, because uh, if you missed our previous coverage of the Toys R Us bankruptcy, uh, that news came out in September. You'll need some background uh, on that news and developments since then to kind of have an idea of what's happening with the retailer, obviously um, uh, an important partner for Hasbro Mattel, who we'll cover shortly. But Danny, can you bring our listeners up to speed? I sure can, Vince. So going back, uh, you may recall that Toys R Us was acquired by some private equity firms and a real estate developer back in 2005 in a leveraged buyout um, for about $6.6 billion. Uh, unfortunately, $5.3 billion of that was debt. Uh, and because of all of that debt maintenance, because of the interest payments, a lot of people felt, and I concur, that basically Toys R Us was pretty much doomed to failure. Um, they, they had a little bit of bad luck with the timing because of the emergence of e-commerce and you know the prevalence of toys started to be carried by places like Target and Walmart. But the biggest part of that story was the leveraged buyout. And with so much interest, they just didn't have a lot of wiggle room uh, in order to take on new initiatives to make the store a little bit better competitor in, in the current day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned this last time uh, when we talked about this on the show, but the fact that Toys R Us just ran into a few different headwinds, big challenges, challengers really, to their uh, to the brick and mortar uh, business model that that they've always operated with, and uh, they've tried. The investors who took the company private have tried to harvest their investment uh, twice now uh, with the one IPO that was filed and ultimately pulled off the table. Rumors last year or the year before that they would be pursuing another IPO. Obviously, the results for the company haven't been strong enough with the bankruptcy proceedings that we have now. But you have kids now these days, uh, busier than ever. there's less playtime. Children are turning to smartphones and electronics at really young ages, which means uh, less of the traditional action figures, puzzles, games that Toys R Us uh, has previously featured heavily in their stores. But at the same time, the bankruptcy, I think it's important to note, does not mean that all Toys R Us stores will be closing their doors. The companies will be open for business, and it's really important, obviously, this time of year as we approach the holiday shopping season. And 
the company will actually be focusing on a few initiatives during this period to attract customers. They want to make sure, one, that shoppers know that Toys R Us is open for business during the holidays. Make sure that, if necessary, they spend on the marketing to make that known to their core customers. Uh, they want to stress, for example, their price match guarantee as well, which they've always had, but uh, start focusing on that more, making that more known to customers, helping to potentially change the perception of the brand, help take a little bit of market share. They want to emphasize, also in their marketing, the bond that kids can have with the brand and changing up the in-store experience so it's more interactive, more experiential to boost foot traffic. We've talked about that trend for a lot of brick-and-mortar retailers in the past. And at the same time, they also want to change the way they use some of their stores, offering classes, event spaces as a way to win over both parents and their children. And you know, the company generates about 40% of its sales in this last quarter of the year. And the company uh, Toys R Us has been able to reassure and essentially renegotiate through the bankruptcy proceedings with most of its vendors and suppliers in order to keep those store shelves stocked, which is obviously very important. They can't be entering this very busy time uh, with lower inventory levels or weak inventory levels for this period. And hopefully, coming out of the bankruptcy proceedings, they'll be a little leaner. They'll have the right, they'll make the right investments in their stores and in the online channel, and the company and the brand can survive. Any other thoughts from you, Danny, though, looking forward for Toys R Us, things they might need to focus on? Just your thoughts. Well, I, I do know that listening to Hasbro's conference call, they made it a point to say, um, that they had just renegotiated uh, with Toys R Us, that they had temporarily suspended shipments to them, but they had come to an agreement. Um, and so I, I think that th that's probably indicative of what's happening with a number of the major toy suppliers. So I, I think Toys R Us will have supplies going into the you know, all important holiday shopping season. So we'll we'll see here in the next uh, couple of months how that turns out for them. Yep, absolutely. If I recall correctly, it was Tor uh, Toys R Us said that they have been able to iron out the relationships and the deals they have with about 49 of their 50 top suppliers to again make sure that their stores are ready to go with the hottest toys uh, as parents kind of roll in. For the holidays. By the same time, uh, even though they announced uh, their bankruptcy filing in September, in the closing weeks of the third quarter, it still had quite an impact, as you mentioned, Danny, on Mattel and Hasbro in their earnings. It was a topic of major interest in the earnings calls for both companies, analysts asking a lot of questions about what this might mean, uh, how it impacted the company specifically during the quarter, how it impacted them going forward. So let's start with Mattel, which reported earnings on October 26th. There's a lot to digest here in this report. Um, Danny, what were the highlights? Well, when when we talk about Mattel, I'm, I'm going to go back just a little bit into the past. Mattel was already in trouble. Um, Mattel's uh, you know flagship Barbie doll sales have been either flat or declining, going all the way back to 2012. They've been through several CEOs, and they've been trying to re revive the Barbie sales, revive some of the sales of their key brands. Um, back in June, um, Mattel acquired, or I'm sorry, back in February, Mattel's new new CEO, uh, Margot uh, Giardius, I believe that's pronounced, um, came on and you know set out a plan to you know help the company get back on track. And at the time, they planned to cut about 200 million dollars worth of costs 
and they slashed the dividend by 61%. And that was kind of the the beginning. That's how they were planning on on moving forward. Um, You know, you may recall a couple of years back that Mattel had lost the uh, Disney Princess and Frozen uh, lines uh, in a coup to Hasbro. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that was kind of a big deal to them. That was adding insult to injury. So Mattel has finally, you know, put together a plan and, you know, going forward. Um, and we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Um, for the current quarter, mm-hmm. uh, Mattel's net sales fell to about one point five six billion, which was down about 13 percent year over year. Um, and that was far below the consensus estimate, which was about one point eight billion. Um, unfortunately, because of the Toys R Us situation, or partly due to that, their North American gross sales fell 22% uh, year over year. So, and North America is their biggest market. So they took a huge hit there. Um, sales fell across the board in every major category. Um, some analysts estimated that about half of the falling sales in North America were the result of the Toys R Us bankruptcy. They had a net loss of over six hundred million dollars uh, per share loss of one seventy of a dollar seventy five cents, and they announced on their earnings conference call that they were going to cut six hundred and fifty million dollars in costs over the next two years versus the two hundred million that they had previously announced, and they suspended the dividend entirely. So all in all, it was really hard to find anything positive. Um, in Mattel's earnings conference call and their financial release. There just wasn't really anything good there. Yeah, the sentiment was definitely very negative during the earnings call in the commentary from management. And it's interesting to note, you pointed uh, out that sales across for the company overall down 13%, but for that uh, very important North American segment, down 22%. And this, there's... Uh, for their brand categories within that North American segment, uh, across the board, you have down anywhere from 20 to 34 percent. And if you look at some of their key franchises, the key brands, for example, like American Girl, um, Fisher-Price, again, all double-digit declines above 20 percent. And as early as uh, the first weeks of September, Mattel had already begun cutting down on their shipments to Toys R Us as a result of the bankruptcy. Uh, thus, some of the estimates and the comments that half of that the, the decline that they saw in North America was driven by that latest development with a big partner of theirs, whereas the international sales, on the other hand, were relatively flat. So, a lot of the losses driven here at home. Uh, profitability, too, I want to add, their gross margin was down seven percentage points year over year. And I think that was also a big development that is driving what you mentioned in terms of the $650 million of additional to- cost cuts in the next two years. Management's implementing zero-based budgeting, uh, which we've brought up a few times in the show before, basically with each year for every department, for every division, as they're setting up their budget, instead of basing it on the prior year's budget, they start from scratch, having to justify every expense, every line item. It's a it's a common way for companies to, really, to try and cut down and make their budgets as lean and efficient as possible. And with that dividend cut, uh, dividend cut that you mentioned, Danny, the it's expected to free up about another $200 million a year for management to spend elsewhere. And I want to talk a little bit about what the company is looking to do going forward to right 
the business and uh, where what it's focusing on in terms of its strategy. So in terms of it, where some of that money will go, so the, the several hundred million dollars they're looking to save from the dividend cut, the other expense cuts, they're looking at their omni-channel capabilities. Um, as you can imagine, e-commerce. Uh, is very important right now for the company. They are looking at their emerging markets, where the industry growth is focused across uh, the tour industry, and the company is positioned very well, especially in China. They are focused on their IT infrastructure spending there, so that the company can have better tools at its disposal for things like demand forecasting. And then, lastly, they want to focus and spend. Uh, some uh, put some investments into content and gaming, which is essentially the next step for their brand and product development. They've spent about $30 million so far in 2017 as a result of these plans they announced over the summer. Another $170 million expected to be spent in the next two years. And uh, I want to uh, give you a second here, Danny, to talk about the five strategic pillars they also laid out during their investor day earlier this year as kind of the guiding. Uh, the guiding model that they're going to follow uh, to try and and restore the business to the growth and some of the stronger uh, operating results that they saw in the past. Can you tell us about those? Sure, can Vince. So, and I'm going to take these in reverse order. You know, some of them are really kind of common sense. The last one that they talked about was reigniting the culture and the team. And a couple of things that have come up with Mattel in the past, the first is that they had become bogged down in a bureaucracy. It seemed like in order to get anything done, there were layers and layers and layers of approvals that had to be done. Um, it was a disheartening for the folks that worked there seeing these you know, quarter after quarter of poor results, year after year of declining or flat sales for Barbie. Um, and so what they wanted to try to do was first they wanted to clear up some of those layers of bureaucracy and get that out of the way so that they could reignite their, you know, their corporate culture and, and get their team back um, to where they could have a little positive spin on the business. So they'd have, a, you know, get their belief back in their company. And part of that was, again, reshaping the operations. They wanted to, you know, it's one of the things that they've talked about, I think, on the investor day um, presentation was that in order to get a new toy approved, it had to go through an, a really long and complicated approval process. And when the new CEO came in, she decided that that was something that was holding them back. So they're going to get rid of those layers of bureaucracy, try to speed up the approval process, um, you know, get some more toys out there faster. Um, that was part of a reshaping their operations. Um, that also fed into um, strengthening their innovation pipeline. You know, they had spent so much time focusing on their core brands, Barbie, Hot Wheels, Fisher Price, Thomas the Tank Engine, the American Girl brand, that they were really not looking forward. They weren't developing any new toys or new ways for kids to connect with those toys. Um, and so as a result of that, um, you know, they wanted to strengthen their innovation pipeline. Um, as you mentioned, they also wanted to accelerate um, their entry into emerging markets. They think that, uh, you know, one of the reasons that they've fallen behind is because North America represents so much of their sales. And they figure if they can bring in, uh, you know, new geographies, bring in new international markets, that's going to help, you know, take care of some of those ebbs and flows in the business. If, if, uh, 
sales are not going well in North America, they might pick up in some of the international markets. So that'll help stabilize their, their sales somewhat. Um, and finally, the biggest thing, which I wanted to save for last, was they said they wanted to build their power brands into connected 360 play experiences, which is kind of a mouthful. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's important to note that their new CEO uh, has a history at Google um, and so really has a, a technology background and has spent a lot of time, uh, you know, working with technology and wants to bring tech to Mattel. So some of the things that they wanted to start at those core brands of theirs and they wanted to kind of evolve them from instead of being just the toys themselves, um, they wanted to give kids new ways to interact with the toys. So one example that they used was the Barbie Dream House um, is a connected toy and you can download the app and customize some of the features on the Barbie Dream House. You can customize you know, sounds that uh, that come out of particular rooms. And so they wanted to use that as kind of a starting point and look at all of their brands and see if there were other ways that they could, um, you know, connect with kids. So other ways to, um, you know, perhaps using uh, Internet of Things as an option, um, they wanted to make these more connected play systems. They wanted to develop online communities where, you know, people who are interested in chatting with one another about Barbie as a, for instance, they could go online and have, you know, Barbie chat. Um, so there were a number of different things that they were looking at, but they, they're, they're hinging their, uh, their change here, their osmosis here, excuse me, their, their change that they want to, um, evolve from here, uh, into a more technology based toy company. Thanks, Danny. With those pillars, uh, management during this latest earnings call, uh, had some progress reports essentially, uh, for how they're doing. I think you touched on some good examples, but going back to, uh, something you mentioned with reshaping the operation and how they wanted to improve their time to market, just some numbers behind that. They were looking at a goal of 50%, uh, improvement from the, tra from the traditional 12 to 18 months that it would take for, uh, in order for a, a toy to hit the market. Uh, but they've already, uh, released four new products, um, and they launched them with their new process in three to nine months. So seeing an improvement there. And then on the culture and team side, I think it's important to note that the company has also brought on a new uh, chief financial officer, chief technology officer, communication officer, uh, people officer, I believe, head of manufacturing and head of product development. So a lot of new management, um, new people brought in with uh, for, for leadership to kind of refresh their approach to things. And the trends the last thing we'll talk about from Mattel that they've identified that are really shaping their industry, and these will bleed into our coverage or our discussion of the Hasbro earnings as well. But management mentioned specific trends they think are really changing the toy industry. One, um, 
it's still growing each year, but the bulk of that growth is concentrated in emerging markets, uh, hence some of the strategic pillars they've established. Uh, two, kids are adapting to and growing up in a very digital, mobile-first world. So, toys, entertainment, they need to be very engaging, they need to be personalized, they need to be customizable. That is also uh, plays into, for example, their power brands and the 360 experiences. And the last point is with parents, and this is more on the branding, brand building side, that connection with customer loyalty, but they want their kids to be able to succeed and adapt in a very fast-changing world. They also want strong, genuine, and responsible brands. So the company overall is rethinking uh, the brands, how it presents them, trying to create more of a connection with customers, both the kids and parents alike. And we'll see that flow through to our next uh, company, so the other big toy maker in the industry, which is Hasbro. Um, the company reported its latest results on October 23rd. So I'll pass the ball to you again, Danny, to give us some highlights from that report and what's going on with the company. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, the, the same thing with Hasbro, as I discussed uh, with Mattel, you know, there's a little bit of history that brought us to where we are today. If you go back to 2008, Hasbro as a company wasn't doing very well. Um, they had kind of lost focus on some of their key brands. Um, they were letting Mattel essentially run away with the ball. Um, and when uh, CEO Brian Goldner took over, um, one of the first things he did was he sent a team of 25 people out into the marketplace and they traveled around the country talking to kids and parents um, and try to see how it was that, uh, you know, folks engaged in their toy shopping. And one of the key things that they found out was that the toys that kids wanted were all connected with uh, movies or with television shows so that they could, you know, engage with the, the characters, their toys, in another way. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of a genesis for a big development at Hasbro, um, where they went back into um, you know creating more television shows, creating more movies. Um, that was kind of the big uh, the big push behind the Transformers movies. Uh, and also the My Little Pony uh, movies and television shows were all a result of what they found out. Um, and then also they won that uh, Disney Princess and, and Frozen uh, licensing contract um, away from Mattel. Um, that was announced in September of 2014 and took place in January of 2016. Um, so that, that was... Um, that was a key loss for Mattel, but it was a key gain for Hasbro. Um, so now looking at their uh, individual results worldwide, um, Hasbro grew its net revenue 7% year over year to $1.79 billion. And it's important to note that for the last few quarters, Hasbro has actually become the world's largest toy maker by sales uh, because they've beat out Mattel. Um, now, in pretty much the exact opposite of what we saw with Mattel, um, Hasbro had strong sales across, you know, all of their segments. Um, the one laggard was partner brands, which is uh, the companies like Disney, um, where they license uh, license the characters and create toys. And in that same period last year, DreamWorks had released the Trolls movie and so there was a big run-up in toy sales for that so that wasn't really a concern in my book 
um, you know, a weaker movie slate, you're going to see that happen. Um, but as a result of the Toys R Us, Hasbro uh, announced that they had temporarily suspended shipments with the company. Um, and they expected growth in their fourth quarter, which is that important Christmas season, were going to be in a range of 4 to 7%. Um, now, it's important to note that analysts were expecting growth in a range of 11% over that same period, which was part of the reason Hasbro stock fell the way it did. Um, and I, I disagree with that. I think that Hasbro, you know, coming in with a conservative forecast was probably the right thing to do. There's a lot of uncertainty around the Toys R Us bankruptcy and even just going into the call they said it was only, you know, the day before or that day, I don't recall exactly, but they had just announced um, that they had come to an agreement with Toys R Us and that they would resume uh, shipments of toys to them in advance of the holiday season. Um, so I think Hasbro is doing just fine. And that that uh, drop in the stock price there, that I kind of saw that as a buying opportunity. Mm -hmm. the, the stock took about a 10% hit. Uh, after their earnings were released, but otherwise, you especially uh, after just having discussed Mattel and all of the challenges that they're running into, the issues that they're having, you have a company here where revenue was up seven percent. That was both in their U.S. and Canada segment, and also their international segments. And uh, among the four uh, different brand categories that they have, their franchise brands, which includes uh, Transformers, which I believe you mentioned, Danny, Play-Doh, Nerf. Uh, My Little Pony, that was up 7%. And then the partner brands was only down 2%, uh, again, because of that the, the, the changes sometimes in the theatrical release schedule. But the fact of the matter is, the partnerships with Marvel, think about all the big superhero movies, the Disney princesses, uh, Trolls, Sesame Street, and that's a very significant part of their business. And then uh, the Hasbro gaming brands, uh, think Pieface, uh, Connect4, Jenga, Scrabble, did phenomenally well, uh, up 22%. And then they have some of their emerging brands, which is what they categorize as the smaller uh, the smaller names that haven't quite reached franchise brand status, but those are also growing quite well at 9%. And the company has... Uh, about $1.2 billion cash on its balance sheet. I think as gives it quite a bit of dry powder uh, to return capital to shareholders. They have their dividend, they have their share repurchases, also to continue investing growth, um, staying focused on their product pipeline, uh, new toys, uh, the additions, and the kind of the more interactive investments they're making, the technology they're, uh, that they're also incorporating into the toys that they release. And so, combining all that, it seems like the Toys R Us uh, jitters or the concerns there, plus some of the, the lower guidance is really what had investors kind of running off with that that short-term hit. But otherwise, obviously, the much stronger player in this industry. And big picture, I think, the company is similarly focused on emerging markets. They've stated that uh, about having the right brand images and stories similar to Mattel. And again, having these immersive and engaging product experiences. But Final takeaways, Danny, uh, as we close out this episode uh, for these two companies, for the toy industry at large, anything that you think uh, our listeners want to kind of leave out with? Well, one thing that uh, I, I saw yesterday was that uh, Mattel stock took a jump at one point. I think it was up probably 10%, and that was on rumors um, that the company you know, could be acquired. Uh, I... 
whether or not it is, I don't think that's a good basis for an investing decision. Um, if you think Mattel, um, you know, can operate their turnaround over the next few years, and, and I think there's a good possibility of that. I actually still own Mattel stock, even haven't taken a bath in it thus far. Um, I think there's a good chance of a turnaround. And we're starting to see, you know, some evidence of that, the Toys R Us bankruptcy notwithstanding. Um, but I've been a Hasbro shareholder for years, and you know they've been executing on on pretty much uh, every level over the ta last two or three years. The stock price is up significantly, and and uh, you know if there's a, a surefire bet in the in the toy industry, if there is such a thing, I, I think Hasbro is probably it. All right. Well, thanks again, Danny, for joining us. Um, really great to have you back. It was good to be here. Thanks, Vince. Thanks, fools, for listening. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Fool on. <laughs>